Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Script and Style podcast. I am Todd Gardner, and my co-host, David Walsh, is also here with us. Today, we have a special guest, Mr. Mark Grabansky from Front End Masters and other jQuery fame. Um, uh, Before we jump Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Uh, But before we jump into that, uh, David, how's it going? How's life? Life is okay, but I have to tell you, you know, for Christmas, my wife wanted um, like some home automation stuff, right? She wanted some stuff that, you know, she could figure out what was going on at home. So we got Nest, uh, like Nest cameras, right? And they're, they're really nice. We got three of them. They're up at different, they're in different parts of the house. But the most frustrating thing about them is that as somebody who works from home, I'm getting pinged on my phone every 30 seconds that the camera sees movement in the kitchen. (laughs) The camera sees movement at the front door, right? And it's me. And it's like the most distracting thing in the world. Have you like, have you had, do you have home automation stuff that like? I do. I bought a few things uh, in the smart things universe over Christmas and tried to like prototype it out in my office here. just like basic things like a motion sensor and a light switch so that all the lights would turn on together and turn off together. It is flaky. Like maybe it's just my expectations, but from like compared to a regular light switch, it's infuriating how often it doesn't work. Like they'll walk into the office and the lights just won't turn on or that I'll be sitting here working and all the lights will turn off. And it's just, wait, so what, what's supposed to manage the lights? Well, so I have a I have a smart things hub, um, which is like a, a Samsung, uh, you know, net network device, and then there's a bunch of smart light bulbs and smart switches that talk to it. And I've you know written little automation blurbs for them so that they turn on and turn off. But like sometimes they just lose connection, and it, oh, it, it's it's just like these are the kinds of devices that like it's not okay when they don't work. It's like, I have things to do today. I don't want to spend time messing around with my light bulbs because I can't get anything done. That's the thing, right? Like, these things can be so helpful, but when they don't work, they're incredibly infuriating, right? Yeah, yeah. But enough about that. That's a topic for a different One episode. Thing. I don't know if it uh, swearing is allowed on this podcast, but uh, the Internet of Shit uh, Twitter account is pretty much the best thing ever. Yeah, I agree. And swearing is is a-okay. You be you, man. You be you. All right. So let's welcome our guest today, uh, my friend Mark Grabansky, uh, another local uh, Minneapolis St. Paul resident. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe like a quick origin story about how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I'm a Midwestern, uh, you know, was born and raised here um, as you both were, right? Right. Or are. Continue to stay in the Midwest. You weren't yeah, sucked into the Silicon Valley bubble. I don't know what we're thinking with the snow, but right. Yeah. It's well, not we, so bad. Yeah. 
um, the, the benefits of living here outweigh the cold, I think. Um, but yeah, so I was born and raised here and, uh, you know, sort of felt really disconnected from the world and just not really, um, I don't know, just in high school, et cetera, just didn't feel, uh, middle school, whatever, didn't feel connected. And then once I found the internet, um, I think I was like 13, 14 and just, uh, you know, ever since there, just being able to reach out to all this resources and people online and stuff like that, just, um, so I'm a child of the internet and, uh, now I run front end masters. Um, I just, uh, you know, we run sort of professional targeted, uh, education for front end engineers and, uh, we're kind of going out, uh, beyond that lately, but yeah, so, uh, I'm just a Midwestern built a business here and, uh, and now I run front end masters, which I'm really, really proud of. And, you know, before that, um, basically, uh, had the, wrote the date picker, the jQuery UI date picker. <laughs> this is kind of like my, my claim to fame back in the day. Um, but yeah, Not I wrote, back in the day, I still see the jQuery UI date picker yeah, on one site, at least one site every day. Yeah. It's pretty much all the web-based software I use. It's, <laughs> it's like my code staring at me from over a decade ago. Uh, yeah. So that's. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, just, I don't know. Do you want me to t- talk no, about no, today that's or like, my origin story or what? Well, yeah, let's do the origin story because, you know, it's really interesting that you call yourself a child of the internet, right? And I think that our our age range is sort of exactly that, right? Like, at least the three of us. Well, we're the first generation to really, like, see the world without the internet and right. then be open to all these possibilities of all these resources and connecting with people online and all that kind of stuff. Totally. So wow. how did you, like, what happened in between you sort of discovering the internet and then jQuery, Date Picker, and Front End Masters? Like, what, what were the early days of the stuff that you were tinkering, tinkering around with? What got you, like, really excited to enter this field? Yeah, I mean... The first exposure to programming was the TI-83, downloading those old text-based <laughs> RPGs and then like being able to crack open the code and being like, oh, I can change stuff. So I just I could play a mean game of Snake on my TI-83. <laughs> yeah, so I built I built games uh, using that basic language on the TI-83. And that was really my first exposure to programming. And uh, also, uh, you know, this, this kid uh, stole my code or basically, you know, had it on his phone and changed his name on the, you know, the TI-83 game. Uh, it was called uh, A-Fighter. It was kind of like a Zelda clone. And uh, he changed the name on it, and he got all the credit. And I was like, hey, what are you playing? Oh, you're playing my game. Oh, that's great. No, James wrote it. I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> that is literally like my blood, sweat, and tears that somebody else's name is on this game. So... And Got that it. that ends Mark's first experience with online piracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's that, and and we grew up with Napster, right? So we were the consumers at first, but Mark was getting hammered right away on his game. <laughs> Yo, and then also I learned about backups too because I spent three months, you know, nights and weekends, and this uh, during math class or basically all classes programming this game, and um, I I hit the the, I was cleaning up the, I need more memory on the, the device and I accidentally deleted the latest version of my game. 
And so I lost like a month worth of work and I was just like, forget it. I'm done with this. Forget oh, it. No. Yeah. So I got really heavy into programming um, on the calculator, but never, never touched it. And I kind of went into uh, hardware after that. So I built computers. I learned to, you know, I remember uh, my buddy Josh kind of understood how to take apart a computer and put it back together. And uh, I was like, I can do that. So I like rip apart the family computer. And then I'm like, oh man, my parents are going to come home. I need to like make sure this thing works. And ex computers were expensive back then. And so I like quickly put it all back together and it like booted up. And it was like, my heart just came out of my chest right before like trying to make this thing work again. So I got really into hardware and I built my first uh, business fixing people's computers, basically just removing, you know, you know, viruses and crap like that and, and uh, fixing just basic stuff. Um, and then also building computers and I set up networks and hardware and stuff for businesses in my local town. Uh, so that was sort of like going into that and then all of a sudden like seeing the internet, uh, like blogs kind of sprout up and being like, wow, you can publish something and the entire world can see it. So then I was like, I want to do that. I want to master that. So that's where I kind of like went to college, kind of reset my life, had to start from scratch. Um, you know, because hardware is nothing like software development. And so I had to go through, you know, figuring out Dreamweaver, dragging and dropping stuff and table layouts. This is back before CSS was even a thing. And uh, I got my first job after the dot-com bu bubble or bursted. And so people were like, there's no jobs in this. And so I was literally coming into a field that was like paid like trash. I was like... <laughs> You know, uh, there there wasn't a lot of jobs, but I was like, this is important. And so um, just kind of built built layouts, HTML and CSS layouts and transitioned from uh, designing the thing and then building it and really found my love in, uh, you know, making sure that HTML is semantic and that Google can get good ratings because I had a little bit of a marketing kind of bug in me as well. Um, and just making sure the, you know, uh, CSS and everything worked the way that the designers, you know, meant them to. And I just saw a lot of developers who just couldn't make the thing work how it was supposed to. And I was always like, this is important. And my boss one day came by and was like, hey, if you just did Java, like enterprise development, like you're showing so much you know, prowess on the front end, like you should do this because you could get, you know, three times the salary or whatever. And I was like, no, this is important. You guys all suck at writing <laughs> HTML and you can't make a UI for, you know, it's like, so I, I don't know. I just kind of grew up in being a UI developer and really kind of caring about taking the design intent and making sure that the pixels were, you know, perfect on the other end. And, you know, back in the IE days and, where you had to get everything working on an old browser that everybody hates. And so that's kind of, I was, how, how is that different from today? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, pretty much everybody just makes things work on Chrome today. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. I know you're face palming over there, but uh, yeah. The, back the error tracking guy is disagreeing with, with today being better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, old Android phones, you know, all the different devices that you have to support if you're going to be uh, sort of an enterprise, um, you know, reaching the widest range for sure. But 
we all know that most developers today kind of seem to just focus on, you know, the latest browsers and whatnot. But yeah, yeah so I got involved in in blogging and and stuff right around the same uh, days that David you did. Uh, I saw your it was like your blog, my blog, and a and uh, a few other people talking about pure JavaScript. This is before MooTools and jQuery. There just wasn't. There was a uh, I'm blanking on his name, but I don't know. There's just so few people blogging about pure JavaScript and whatnot. So there's a few, and I, I remember your stuff from back in the day, even before MooTools. And uh, so, awesome. Yeah. So how well, did you how did you get involved with jQuery then? Yeah. So I wrote a uh, pure component, pure JavaScript. I wrote pure JavaScript components for work, and you know I always. Uh, created these little components and then just put them on my website. And this is back in you know the SVN days where that's pretty much all people did was share their little code snippets. And uh, so mine was this really fast, clean calendar. I called literally clean calendar. And it was a little date, date picker widget, but I called it clean calendar. And uh, when I saw jQuery, I was able to you know take this uh, library and make my clean calendar like 30 to 40% smaller, the, the core code base by just using jQuery. And uh, I was sold on that day and, and uh, on jQuery itself. And there was a tiny little wiki page, uh, you know, in the site, there was like, it was a three page site or something. And the wiki page was like plugins, use $.fn to extend, you know, jQuery and you could create these plugins. And I, you know, so I, ported my clean calendar into a jQuery plugin, posted it on the wiki. And uh, from there, like people just pulled it down like crazy. And, uh, you know, I got thousands of emails with SVN diffs and feature requests and stuff like that. And so I just kind of continued to respond to those requests until I, you know, sort of built, um, you know, and Keith Wood came on board. And we, we sort of, once every single email that came in was solved by an option, um, bam, I felt like I was done. You know, it's like, this thing does everything that everybody's requesting of it. So that's, well, that's awesome, that's, man. That's a great feeling. Um, while you were talking, I just looked up on my blog and on January 26th of 2010, eight years ago, holy shit. Um, I wrote a blog post about how to disable specific days within the jQuery date picker widget. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that post. I remember you posting that. So. Yeah, there's probably a comment in here with you correcting me. Um, <laughs> no, so, it was so fine. How, so because I'm a, like a big fan of, of sort of paying it back and thanking people, who were some of the people that helped you um, get into the jQuery community who are some of the people that like introduced you to the person working on jquery ui is there anyone out there that you'd like to thank or just throw a well yeah i mean john reseg himself was you know he was amazing like and that's why jquery blew up let's just be honest i mean it was it's, it was good code but john was amazing at actualizing the community and getting really the community together and so you know uh reseg himself like i mean you know, there's other people that came on board um, after him, like Paul Bacaus really kicked off the jQuery UI project. Uh, Scott Gonzalez, 
um, all these guys. But, uh, you know, just having the ability to kind of speak at the original jQuery meetup, um, I think that was John himself that, you know, I pitched him on on coming out there. And I remember we, like, met at MIT. You know, there's, like, 50 of us. And it was like, whoa, look at this community. There's 50 people at MIT in this, like, side room, uh, you know, in 2007 for this jQuery meetup, you know, the first jQuery thing. So, I don't know, just having the ability to kind of speak about the work and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, thanks to John Riesig and, and uh, a lot of the, the early contributors. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, as a Mutuals guy, I've heard way too much jQuery talk. So let's jump forward. Like, what, what inspired you to start Frontend Masters? Yeah, for that, um, I had spoken at, you know, over the from 2007 to like 2010, I spoke at like 60 different conferences. So going from jQuery to then speaking about, you know, pure JavaScript and then eventually SVG and pretty much all of my projects were pure SVG based. And that was like, even still today, there's not a whole lot of like application software that's, you know, fully baked on SVG. So um, I was, you know, really big proponent of SVG and kind of, you know, evolved and spoke at all these different conferences. And I just kind of got frustrated uh, by by conferences. And I was like, I can create a better one. And so I created like five or six different ones. And the biggest one was at Google headquarters. And uh, the, we kind of took over, you know, I'm a Midwestern person taking over Google headquarters with, uh, you know, Alex Russell and Yehuda Katz and all these people like speaking. And, uh, you know, they did a great job. Um, but I still was frustrated because I really wanted to do the things that, you know, like back then Yehuda was talking about, this is before Ember, he was talking about, you know, having one model and then reflecting that model throughout your UI, stuff like that. And I was like, I want to be able to do that. Um, and I want others to be able to do that as well. But th the conference doesn't seem like the right medium to do this, right? To take that you know, bleeding edge knowledge and somebody who has experience doing that and then, you know, give it into the hands of a lot of people. And so that's where I started running workshops. And uh, I taught the first six myself where I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, take uh, all this knowledge that I've accumulated in, you know, pure JavaScript and HTML and um, jQuery and all this stuff. And I'm going to package it into a series of workshops. And so we definitely, uh, you know, well, and then I realized like my friends in the industry that I met through speaking are actually better at speaking and more well known for these specific topics. So I invited them to teach individual days and uh, yeah, workshops were sold out and people asked for the videos. So it kind of led us on to a couple years of hell uh, trying to, f you know, figure out the whole video thing. And people are like, I want to participate live online in these workshops. So we had to figure out live streaming and um, so now, you know, it's available all under a subscription, um, you know, similar to uh, the, some of the other big players like uh, Linda or whatever. Um, but yeah, you can now access all of these workshops as video, you know, on demand. And, uh, you know, you can participate live or you can watch them after the fact. And so it just, you know, evolved from being frustrated with conferences, teaching workshops, and then now, um, 
just being able to invite the best in the world at a specific topic, them teaching it, you know, in a hands-on way and making sure that gets out to, you know, tons and tons of people. And so that's, that's front end masters in a nutshell. I've watched a couple of uh, your training videos and, and I've done one myself and I have to say the production quality is just top notch. Like I think I was watching the uh, uh, Mike North's PWA course the other day um, and it was, it was really, really well done. Um, what do you think? So do you see this online training platform uh, kind of movement that you're, you're part of as a replacement for software conferences or do the two things kind of interoperate together? Yeah, there's definitely uh, a need for both. A conference has a few different elements. Like what a conference is great at is having somebody stand out there and show like the latest, greatest, hottest thing in like 30 minutes, right? So your job as a speaker is to show some new thing or, you know, give presence to a topic, um, you know, and get people excited about it, right? And, you know, it's not to teach people in depth, whatever, like that's, that's my shtick. And that's like, what I care about is teaching people in depth, but having all these software engineers come together um, and have speakers, you know, teach about things that they're excited about in 30 minutes or 45 minutes is, uh, you know, it's a good mix of just seeing what's going on, what's popping in the industry, you know, kind of getting a feel for it. But, you know, uh, when it comes to front end masters and online training platforms, you know, you're really trying to get production level code. You know, you're trying to go from a, in a topic like learn how to build an API from scratch. Now you build an API, you use that knowledge in your job, you set up an API at work. And so that's really the difference I see between a conference where you just, you know, it's exciting to do the hallway track thing and get to see all these people and you you see the list of topics, you go to a few talk, uh, you know, talks that, that excite you. And, uh, but you're not going to like come out of there being like, Oh, I know how to, you know, use SVG now. Yeah. <laughs> right? it's, just, it's, it's not exactly production ready rolling out of a conference. You're just excited about some ideas. Right. Exactly. And in order to like learn progressive web apps, you know, that's like a multi-day, you know, probably multi-week journey, you know, to, to really master that topic. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you see like different people learn in different ways? Like sometimes um, I like going off and, and just exploring a topic. Like I just, you know, just give me a, a code editor and I'm going to start like playing with an API, but like with PWAs um, for some of the concepts, I felt lost to the point that I really wanted a guided tour, like just to start off with. And I think, yeah. I think what you're doing really sets that up well. Yep. I mean, there's definitely like, you know, the guided, having an expert really take you through for a whole day, you're going to get, you know, the 80% of the material versus like you having to piece that together, you know, on your own. Um, so that's the goal with it. And obviously there's tons of approach. There's screencasts, there's blog posts like David does, you know, all these kind of tools allow you to piece things together. But, you know, what we're doing is just kind of a guided tour through the 80% that you need to know. Yeah, and I think that that's that's really helpful. Um, is there going to be a front end mans masters conference at some point? Like, are you going to meld these two ideas that you were talking about and and use some of your resources on that front? Yeah, I mean that that interests me, right? I mean, I've ran conferences in the past, 
And, uh, you know, we brought Christopher Schmidt on board as well. And he's, you know, all the summits, if you've heard of the JavaScript summit and jQuery summit and web accessibility, all this stuff. So he's ran like an in control in person and CSS DevConf. So he's ran like hundreds of conferences and I've ran, you know, like 10 or 20. Right. So, I mean, definitely we have the team to do it. But right now um, we're just really trying to, you know, get our process down so we can release these courses, uh, you know, within a day. So you're seeing like the best practices of GraphQL like now. Right. And then you see because they changed the next day. last week. Right. Right. Exactly. Last so, week, the best practices aren't the best practices. Anymore. Right. Exactly. Well, I don't think that things <laughs> change that fast. I think uh, I think things change. You know, when you look when you zoom out, you're like, oh, front end is going crazy. But I mean, reality, it's like, OK, we moved from Angular to React and now people are getting excited about Vue. But that's in like six years or five years or something like that. Like, it's not it's not like that crazy, right? You you learn the fundamentals of JavaScript and then you can see a new framework or something and assess it through those lenses or that lens. So what do you think are some of the biggest challenges? Like you mentioned that, you know, there's a perception that um, the front end changes so fast. What do you see as as the challenges for like web developers to to learn to to spend the um, to stay up to date on, on what they need to be knowing? What are the challenges? Yeah, I mean, what's, what's hard about this? What do you think is hard about this? What do I think? I was gonna say you guys both have been in the industry just as long as I have. Um, yeah, I mean, a new API comes or a new framework or whatever, and you have to get ramped up on it. But that's like the name of the that's literally our job, right? So you have to be good at that. Uh, you know, you know, you have to not be worried about being stuck in, you know, whatever you're, you were comfortable in the past. And so that, that definitely can be a challenge for people, especially like the people who have families that don't, you know, like to code on nights and weekends, you know, that can be daunting if you're writing code nine to five and, you know, a new framework comes out or something that the team's all excited about. And you literally just don't have time because you've got three kids at home and, you know, all these other responsibilities. So I feel like that that is a big challenge. Um, but if you're a nights and weekends developer, I mean, you live and breathe that stuff. You're like new framework. Awesome. Like, you know, and you eat it up in a, you know, a week or something and you're like up and running on the new thing. And you're like, oh, forgot about Angular. Now I'm on React. Now you're like, oh, forgot about Vue. Now I'm on. Or, you know, forgot about React. Now I'm on view. So, like, um, I don't know. I think it's more of a challenge for people who want a work-life balance because this industry does, I mean, you know, you're not, if you're doing hair or you're a firefighter or whatever, like, you know, those industries, it's not like new technologies coming out every six months or year. But for us, that's regular and it's just par for the course. I think that's that's a really important point because, it's not that there's just two classes of developers, the kinds that, you know, do nights and weekends and the ones that want work-life balance. I think we all strive for a work-life balance as we develop, as we get older, right? As we start realizing that there's other parts, there's other things that we want to do, we all kind of crave for that. And in other industries, even like, you know, you, you brought up firefighters. I would hope that from time to time, firefighters take, you know, part of their paid time to learn how to use new equipment, 
and 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 train themselves. And so I think we need to make that part more yeah, of a norm I, in our I, industry. All I'm right? saying is it's just not every you know six months or a year like yeah. we we deal with, right? Probably. So yeah. Um, I, w- I would add to that that I, in my opinion, the frameworks picking up a framework has gotten harder. And maybe it's just because I started when I started. But when we look at like MooTools or jQuery or well, like Dojo was a little bit harder, but like th- they were pretty easy to pick up. Right. Because they were sort of they were doing less. But now you have something like React and then Redux and then Flow and the, everything that you put on top of it. Plus, you have that, you know, sort of webpack build step. Things have just gotten harder, in my opinion. So if you do have less time to learn this stuff, you are going to struggle a little bit more. And that's where something like an awesome service like yours um, can help sort of push you along and cut out loads of research, right? Yeah. Sorry, my my battery is going out. I'm going to go grab my power cable. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you definitely are onto something with that, David. Something that I've run into before when I'm trying to learn something by looking at at other people's code is that like we don't we don't show things in isolation, right? Like it's not like I can find a repository that shows off this particular technique alone. Like I'll download something, and in order to get it to work, I really have to figure out. Oh, no, they used yarn. Now how do I how do I like get that working? Because I haven't used that, and then. Oh, and then they use this weird like embedded database thing. And I don't have that locally. So now I have to figure out, you know, a little bit about that. And there's really like any given, you know, repository of decent size, there tends to be like five or 10 unrelated bits of technology involved that I, um, that I have to learn just to like get the thing done that I want to do. Absolutely. And it's we like, we've sort of gotten to the point where we're writing as much JavaScript tooling as we are javascript that like makes it to the front end right like our jobs have gotten much harder we used to you know again with the earlier frameworks we used to write our code you know 90 whatever percent of the code was code that was ready to go into the browser it just needed to be minified and you know packaged right but now we're writing a ton of javascript before we even get to that point And so everything's gotten harder. And that's why if you're somebody, you know, when I started being a web developer, you know, I was, you know, 20 years old, wasn't married. I could just sit there all weekend, every night and do exactly what, you know, we just spoke about. But now with a wife and two kids and stuff, you really need to focus your time better um, toward this harder stuff. Um, And so my question, Mark, I, I was looking at the speaker list. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Like your presenter list is amazing. Like I'm fans of all of these people. How are you, like, how do you go about getting a front end master presenter? Um, it, like, what is the process from the presenter side? Yeah, I mean, from, it's hard to speak about it other than like from my side. Um, from the presenter side, it's definitely like if you're if you're giving workshops, you're giving talks, you're giving all this kind of stuff out and about, I'm probably going to find out about you, right? Or like somebody on the team will kind of bring it up. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, we have a proposal you can uh, form or you can submit a proposal, that kind of thing. But in general, like if you're out there, you're participating in the community, you're teaching, like 
you know, we're probably going to find out about you. And at that point, you know, you might expect an invite. But, uh, you know, from my perspective, like originally it was like my friends and, you know, these people, uh, you know, were of a certain caliber that, uh, you know, other people of that caliber were excited to, you know, be a part of it. And so, you know, we've kept the quality really high by, uh, you know, having way more inbound, um, you know, opportunities than we can possibly record. And that really keeps, you know, keeps the quality up. And we have a, you know, review system and we kind of look at our library and say, okay, well, we have a hole here. GraphQL, you know, sprouted up. Now people are using it in production. GitHub's talk, you know, GitHub's using it. Okay, now let's do you know, let's do a, a series on GraphQL. Okay, who's the best instructor? You know, um, Scott Moss has been, uh, you know, excited about it, using it on a startup, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a, it's a mix of inbound and us kind of reviewing the inbound inquiries and um, making sure that we keep quality high, right? David, you're, pu- you're muted. Yeah, he's muted. Or something. We can't hear him. No, I'm sorry. What? 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 That, that was your question. He was responding to you. <laughs> no, no, I was listening. I was listening. I yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, we have a, a lot of people who want to do this, and we can, you know, kind of look at the trends in the industry and make sure that we have production people who are writing code on that technology and have a community presence uh you know they're they're participating in the project you know through open source or whatever and we can um you know invite them to to speak from a position of not only using it in production but also having a a good bearing on where the technology is headed in the future so that you know we're not recording stuff that's going to be out of date in six months and even if it does uh you know get out of date we can just invite them back and if they can't come, um, chances are somebody else can. Um, so we we sort of offer that instructor a first right of refusal and say, hey, this technology is getting out of date. Uh, come back. And if they say, you know, no, but that so-and-so can do it, then we invite them. And if they can't, we find somebody else. So um, it's a process of making sure that we have the best, the absolute best instructor for the, you know, the particular topic. And that's, that's awesome. a mixture of experience and active community participation. Awesome. I'm going to get there one day. I see this list and I need to be in it. But one day I will get there. I'll get good at something one day and I'll find my way there. Oh, come on. How you about, would, how you about would starting, awesome. starting a blog with David Walsh? How about creating your first MooTools class? I don't know if that stands up in <laughs> 2018, but I could teach it. Oh, man. Yeah, you're... T- you were talking about all these abstractions earlier and, you know, I kind of look at um, the different frameworks having a, like a mix of lots of these abstractions, like Angular's, like let's uh, adopt them all and bake them into, you know, uh, one framework. And so you have TypeScript and you have, you know, Angular and you have Webpack and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's getting simpler, but as we all learn these universal abstractions like TypeScript, um, then it will become more obvious. But yeah, it definitely is is difficult if you don't learn each 
you know, each abstraction. If you're like thrown into a code base and you've never seen TypeScript, you're probably going to freak out. But if you understand what TypeScript's doing, you understand what JavaScript's doing, and you understand what the framework is doing, then um, it becomes a really productive environment to work in. What is, out of curiosity, what is your most viewed class? What, are, what have people been really... It cha- I mean, it changes, but right now, um, just because of what we're talking about, um, the fact that, you know, getting up in React is easy, uh, you know, getting up and started with create React, React app. But if you want to learn Webpack and Redux and, you know, and uh, putting all this stuff to get, together with React Router and all this kind of stuff, um, Brian Holt does a complete intro to React, which kind of goes through every single, it adds one layer of abstraction as you need them. It's like, okay, now we need to swap out components and deal with navigation. Okay, now we add React Router. So he has a, a you know, pretty large course, but it's it starts really simple with just React. And then you sort of, then you add a build step, then you add, you know, um, you, you sort of add each piece as you go. And then you can see, okay, this is a, a finished app with, paging and um you know and redux and all this kind of stuff and async you know whatever and tree shaking and all this you know cool stuff and drop in preact and you know all of that stuff at the end but you know sort of like walking you through um all those layers of abstraction so that's definitely the most popular for that reason because react doesn't give you enough out of the box you have to add these kind of other tools and so what are the best tools and how do you piece them together you know that's that's the most popular, and it's it stood uh, f- most popular for quite a while. And then you have our foundations. You know, with Kyle Simpson, um, Deep JavaScript Foundations is just always incredibly popular because what do developers you know trip up with JavaScript? They you know they trip up with scope and types and uh, well you know they think JavaScript doesn't have types, but it clearly has types. You know you can course and all, all this kind of stuff. So the prototype system, functions, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, it depends, like, if we just released a course, like, right now we just released Git, so it's really popular. And REST and GraphQL, it's really popular. Um, But a lot of our foundational stuff, like JavaScript, the hard parts uh, with Will Sentence and uh, data structures and algorithms, um, you know, full stack, like, basic sysadmin stuff, TypeScript, introduction to web development, state management with Redux, you know, I could go on, but, um, you know, ES6, grids and Flexbox, you know, these are all the, these are all the topics that we need to know to be productive in our day-to-day work. So they're, of course, they're going to be popular. That's great, man. There's a, it's an awesome catalog. I've watched a bunch of them. Um, I have one more question for you. Where do you kind of see the state of developer training in like the next five to 10 years? What, what do you see changing? Wow. Uh, that's like, a you know, at every conference, people are like, what is the future? And you always have the expert on the stage going like, you're the expert uh, on the stage uh, right now, man. I know, but like, like nobody ever has a good answer. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, what are we looking at? Are we looking at five years out? Like, I don't think a whole lot's going to change other than the fact that, you know, um, people, people's individual contributions, um, just continue to level up. You see like, 
you know, blog posts and books and everything like you see the quality and the quantity just continue to go up of like independent, you know, just, you know, like, like all of us are random people from the Midwest, you know, I mean, in reality, like that's what we are. But now you have random people from, you know, every country in the world, just like, you know, having access to the same material. So you're seeing like, you know, cameras and stuff like, drop in price so the quality of video goes up and you know you have some really interesting youtube channels that are you know coming out and so that independent funded by the community you know i'd like to see that stuff continue to um accelerate and thrive because i mean how cool is that to have like somebody funded by patreon or whatever just you know an individual person um making great material and so that's that's what i like to see you know i think more of that um, is going to come out and, you know, we have to just continue to up our game. So every other publisher out there, you know, has to evolve um, to, you know, make the code more easily accessible and relevant to our day-to-day work. So, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how AI feeds into that because there's already AI, you know, code plugins where all of a sudden you're coding something in it and it finds, you know, the solution or potential function that could, solve what you're doing better. So like, is AI going to be an educational tool? I don't know. Um, you know, it depends on how far you're looking out. Like is VR and AR going to be a thing? Like um, clearly Pokemon Go was was successful, right? But it died off. Um, you know, VR, like I've got a VR setup. We've got a VR setup at the, the office and I play, you know, Pavlov, like a shooter and some other ones, you know, um, on and off. And it's exciting. Uh, to see the future, but like, is that stuff really going to take hold where, you know, an instructor can just go and, you know, pull up a, you know, a graph of the the code that they're working on to show like, like, here's like the model and here's whatever, <laughs> like, that would be cool. Like, right. Like a 3d GUI, like in front of in a classroom or in front of, you know, you've got a headset on and you can see everything like, who knows like where education goes and there's all there's like pills that you can now take that uh, transfer information through the bloodstream or whatever. Like that's, that's like long, you know, I mean, that's like, I know. (laughs) No, but that's like reality, right? Like look it up, like, like quantum computing. How is that going to change it? Like, so, I mean, short term, like nothing's going to change other than the independent quality you know, when you can just see like a million different ways to start React, well, you can create your own start React resource and it's going to be higher quality because you have access to all this other stuff. And uh, I, I just I like the individual voices, you know, more voices coming online, sharing what they're doing in their work. And uh, that's just going to continue to accelerate. But long term, uh, yeah, I'm excited for all this other stuff. We have conversations at work. Um, we have experiments. We, you know, we play around with VR and drones and all that kind of stuff on our free time, and uh, it's fun. I tell you, somebody in our chat room was very upset that you said Pokemon Go was outdated. There, that they were obviously playing it as as you were speaking. Okay, <laughs> so they're listening to us while like playing Pokemon Go. I stay safe out there, everybody. Watch, yeah. watch, look both ways before you cross the street. Doesn't matter what Pokemon is out there. All right, 
So I think we had a good conversation today. Uh, why don't we kind of go around and uh, pull out some key takeaways before we wrap it up? Uh, David, what do you say that your key takeaway for the day is? My key takeaway is that I need to take that React course to brush up. Um, <laughs> jumping into the DevTools debugger at Firefox, which is built with React and Redux and such, you know, there's a really steep learning curve, right? And I've sort of just thrust myself into it. But I think that seeing someone else go through each step and explain it might be a little bit more helpful than just diving in. Um, I also think that I think that it's important to recognize all of the different ways that people learn, right? Like a lot of people learn well by going to conferences, but it's tough to get to a conference, right? It's tough to get to anything where you need to be somewhere. So offering, offering learning in a replayable video format is like so huge for, you know, people like myself, a ton of other people. So um, I think it's, I think your service is really awesome. I'd say the main thing that I pulled out was uh, I've been coming back to a thing that uh, that Mark you said uh, about uh, about people needing to like keep up with the APIs. About you said that that's your job as a web developer, and I think that's that's really true. Of like, there's a certain you know base level of knowledge that we need all need to be keeping up with, and if we're in a place that can uh, help us get that ongoing education um, as part of our day job, that's awesome. If you're not getting that, uh, maybe you shouldn't be there anymore because that needs to be part of you know growing as a developer. Um, and I think that's something that, that is often overlooked in our industry. Uh, but that's kind of a, a comment that I keep coming back to in my head. What about you, Mark? What, what would you say your, your core thing that you really want to talk about today was? Uh, I really just like hanging out with you guys and I'm (laughs) 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 no. And to, to hear and see David's voice is awesome because I've been a longtime fan and it's like one of the few like OGs who is, you know, out there sharing like pure JavaScript knowledge, even before the, the, you know, Mo tools and jQuery days. Like, uh, so that that was really, really cool for me. Yeah, it's awesome to meet you as well. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, Thanks so much, Mark, for coming on. Thanks so much, everybody, for watching live and probably later on the channel. If you have any suggestions on what we could be doing better or what kind of topics you'd like us to discuss, please let us know. Uh, We'll be back sometime next week. We'll get it on the schedule and, uh, and let you know. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for having me on, guys. Goodbye. Adios. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.